Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Live Longer, the podcast, as we continue our first series on the art of healthy longevity in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers at Cambridge University, where I'm a student in the entrepreneurship program and hand in hand with Iona, a digital healthcare company that I founded with a number of colleagues to enable people live longer, healthier lives. Now, today I'm really excited because I have a friend a colleague, a classmate, a fellow entrepreneur to interview. And I love interviewing entrepreneurs, particularly those that want to change the world. And this gentleman did a stint in New York University and studied marketing. Then he studied international relations and Spanish at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, we joke that he's a perennial student, but far from that, he's incredibly knowledgeable and he's putting all of this knowledge to good use. As mentioned, he's in my class at the University of Cambridge studying entrepreneurship at the moment. One thing really struck me about this gentleman and that I met him on the very first day, the very first person as I joined um, Cambridge as a mature student last September. And he really impressed me. I remember he said, oh, I've done the usual thing, joined the family company. But as we got talking, I realised was more to this person than met the eye and that really he was joining his family company because he had a purpose in life to change the world. He had a platform and he was going to use it for the better. And I'm really excited to interview him about all of these amazing things around the food industry because his family company is Turnells and Turnells has been in existence as an entity since the late 1800s and they deliver sustainable healthy food options to those that need it most particularly in the London area but we'll hear from this gentleman that he has plans to expand to other geographic locations. So join me in welcoming my lovely colleague Mr Siraj Thakra. Siraj, welcome. Thank you so much, Millie. Thanks very much for having me and for what a lovely intro, totally undeserved. And um, I'm flattered to to be speaking on your podcast. I've been an avid listener since, since it launched and uh, uh, the group of people have, have been really fascinating and um, I've learned a lot from, from the series so far. So thanks very much for that too. Well, thanks, Siraj. And I've learned from you too. You were the one that spotted after the first episode that I should be doing some outros and you've given me little <laughs> tips along the way that helped me to improve my product. So thank you very much. Of course, forever the marketer, understanding the exactly. value of feedback. <laughs> See, we entrepreneurs, we can learn from each other. Isn't that right? Of course. Yeah, that's why we're here. Exactly. I'm just reflecting back on that initial conversation and I alluded to it in the intro. I mean, it is true. You you were the first person I met when I walked in the door and I was a little <laughs> bit scared the first day at school, but I'm a bit old for that. <laughs> and Those feelings never go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we did have this discussion and you, you know, we were telling each other what we were doing, all excited. And you said, oh, and I'm joining the family business. And, and I said, oh, well, why? Um, and, and, you know, what could you do? And then you started talking to me about really um, how you could reposition the food industry and, you know, distribution of food to those most in need. And that led on to a discussion about, you know, finding your purpose in life. So do you think you've found your purpose? It's a big question to open with, Siraj, but I, I think it's really important because it sets up the rest of the dialogue for us this afternoon. Mm. Yeah, it is, it's a huge question. Um, so they ask you this a lot at university. Well, in my experience, anecdotally, I can say uh, at Edinburgh, NYU, they ask you, you know, you have to find what you really love and then follow that and do what, do, do that. And um, I'm quite lucky that very early on, I, I realized that 
making people vegetarian <laughs> was my life goal and the sustainability that comes along with that. And that comes from being born into a vegetarian family and then having my sister become vegan when I was, I think, probably 16 and then becoming vegan myself a few years later. And of course, being within the food industry, I'm surrounded by food all the time uh, in conversation, in, you know, in physical form. So I always knew that I wanted to enable people to eat healthier without the heavy price tag. And that is what I'm trying to do with the family business at the moment. And my long term view is to create a kind of like an affordable whole foods kind of concept. Um, I think I'm, I'm very fed up with this concept that that good food is only for those that, that uh, have the means to, to buy the inflated prices um, of it. Although, although there is a lot out there already, I think, um, you know, low-cost supermarkets uh, like Aldi and Lidl are doing a fantastic job at making produce, fresh produce, um, more available. I think there is definitely work to be done in terms of education, and that's what's kind of driving me forward at the moment with what we're doing right now, and especially what we've done over the last year with a few councils in London and uh, a large charity in London as well. Well, let me come back a, a step there and ask you, could you tell, I'm sure I didn't do it justice describing Turnells, but could you tell me and, and tell my listeners, you know, what your company does, what, you, what your family business does? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Turnells is a, it's a wholesale fruit and veg company traditionally. It's founded in 1870 by a Joseph Mark Turnell, who actually, funnily enough, moved from Cambridge to London um, to be a grocer's assistant. And uh, he was clearly a charmer because he ended up marrying his landlord's daughter. And uh, he got on so well with his boss that when his boss died, he passed his business on to him. And that was a, a grocer's on Garrick Street, which is uh, in Covent Garden. And it's um, it's actually the spot which is now a steak restaurant. It's called Steak. And um, yeah, I, I thought that was quite a nice story about kind of networking and how this this guy came from Cambridge and moved to London and, and created a network around him just through 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 what was near him. And the business has gone from supplying the public to supplying wholesale. It went on to supply Edward the Eighth when he was the Prince of Wales, and um, also once he had abdicated because of course he had a very short reign when he was the Duke of Windsor. So we had the royal warrant up until the nineties, and um, also. Turnells was the employer, the first employer of the nation's favorite cheesecake enthusiast, Greg Wallace, mm. <laughs> um, who writes about Turnells in his book, in his autobiography. And funnily enough, he was actually sacked um, from Turnells for stealing. <laughs> and he writes about this very openly in his book, which I thought was quite nice. And I messaged him about it. And we had a nice conversation about his experience at Turnells and how much he loved it there. So traditionally, we supply a lot of like hotels, restaurants, schools. So obviously, with the first lockdown back in March 2020, our business was pretty much switched off overnight. And uh, it came to it came to us kind of thinking a bit differently. Obviously, you have to pivot in that kind of situation. You know, we've got staff, we've got um, vehicles, we've got expenses. So you know, you have to you have to um, morph to the situation. And uh, we had been contacted by one council in London to supply you know essentials for the shielded. So seeing that this this need, we approached other councils and eventually created a network of councils. And over the first lockdown and subsequent ones, uh, we were supplying councils with food for uh, the Shielded. And um, we also connected with the Mayor's Fund for London, which is a charity based in London, of course, uh, based in City Hall. They had a concept of making recipe boxes for children, and they had some funding to deliver uh, about 16,000 boxes within Lambeth and Southwark um, over the summer period. 
And we partnered with them on this and they we hired a chef and the chef formulated some recipes. We costed them out. We transported them across London over the six weeks. I think we made over 200 deliveries within the six weeks. And uh, over time, the project has snowballed and, you know, we did a, we did a project over Christmas uh, with some new recipes. And just now in the Easter, we supplied 11 of London's councils, which is 30%. So we're quite proud of that with recipe boxes for children. And these recipe boxes, they, they teach children how to use fairly inexpensive ingredients um, in a way that they maybe haven't thought about before, or maybe they have thought about before. And, you know, we're reinforcing these skills. They're all vegetarian, all the recipe boxes, they're all school food standards approved, uh, high in fresh produce. And, um, you know, I've had I've had the privilege of speaking to some of the recipients of our recipe boxes. And it's it was so fulfilling. It was, I, I, you know, this is one thing that I, I, I you, you learn in business school, speak to your customer, speak to your end consumer, but actually doing it in real life and speaking to these consumers and hearing about how there was a lady who said that her six year old daughter would never enter the kitchen, never, never prepare any food herself. And now after our recipe boxes, she makes her breakfast every morning. And it's about giving the, the participants that independence. It's a really, really fulfilling job. And it's something that I want to take the essence of and you know grow it over the years and over my career and uh, basically enable people to eat healthier and know how to eat healthier and live longer and you and live longer yeah you've articulated yeah. um a connection between a sense of purpose to enable mm. people to eat healthier and you've connected into your business i mean i don't know if you're doing the course on conscious capitalism with professor Sir simon stockley but really the companies who do best and can differentiate themselves have novel ideas and they link their purpose and then the performance increases so the profit comes later. Now, one of the things that struck me is, um, as I was studying that module this morning, actually, before I came on, I thought this is exactly what you're doing in your business, because I saw that BBC clip um, over Easter, which you were too humble to mention there now. I didn't realise really the company behind it. So you haven't made it about turnouts. You've made it about the people. You've made it about the issue. And that's just really, really phenomenally good. So you really are having a sense of purpose and living it out Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm so lucky that, you know, we partnered with such an amazing charity, the Mayor's Fund for London, who are very willing to, uh, to hear our suggestions and, you know, keeping the boxes vegetarian and mostly vegan. I think that's really important, of course, in business and, and generally in work to, to find companies that, and charities and organizations generally that you can really work with and bounce ideas off. And we've really built a Clara, my, my, my point of contact at the Mayor's Fund. We've really formed a friendship. And I, actually, funnily enough, once I finished um, Professor Tim Spector's book, I ordered her a copy and I said, you must read this. We can learn. We can both learn from this. Well, I know it's a great read and, and you've probably listened to his podcast, which I mm. just so enjoyed. I've known Tim for years and I've heard him in evolution talking about twins, and the microbiome. But now seeing all this come to light is, is quite exciting. And, you know, his his philosophy is that there's a new philosophy and food can change our destiny. And that's what you're trying to articulate there. Mm. Now, there are some differences, of course, that not everybody is vegetarian but you have carved out this segment of those that are and, and there's nothing wrong with that it's it's important I mean Tim would say yes a little bit of meat is no harm but what your personal preference is vegetarianism which is good and there's many many people in the world for cultural societal religious reasons want to be vegetarian so you're basically giving them options in this domain aren't you? Yeah, so our, our recipe boxes go to everybody, um, no matter you know what, what diet they identify with. And for me, a really valuable bit of feedback that I get from, from hearing about how the boxes are consumed and the parents that cook them with their children 
are that they're learning vegetarian recipes and they're eating more vegetables. And I think if there's anything that I learned from Spoon Fed, it was the which is uh, Professor Spector's book, is the value of eating produce and fiber, especially you know for your microbiome. Something I'm aware of, but maybe not always thinking about. Mm. That's really rewarding for me because I don't think that veganism has enough of a voice in the mainstream. And I think that's something that I really want to push forward in my career. Eventually, I'd love to go into politics uh, at the end of, you know, at the end of my, my 60s, 70s, I'd love to go into politics and push um, sustainable practices. Hopefully by then there'll be lots more people doing the same thing. And, um, and yeah, just, 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 just kind of, you know, subsidize fruit and veg mm. that, that would be so, so rewarding. Nobody's done it yet. No country's done it yet. Let's actually, that, that's not true. The, um, the, the common agricultural policy in the U, in, in EU does subsidize fruit and veg, but it also subsidizes other things as well. I just want to subsidize fruit and veg and make it a cheaper and just a, a foolproof solution for for people. Mm. So your offering at the moment with the boxes is accessible and it's affordable for the councils. I mean, you know, when I think about this, I think of, you know, the wonderful initiative of Jamie Oliver when he went around doing the school dinners. This is something similar, but how accessible and how much does it cost per person, you know, to to feed people really with high quality food? Yeah. So um, normally councils are used to paying £2.50 for a cooked portion of food. And um, these boxes are usually less than £2.50 per portion of food, uh, up to. So they are a cheaper or equivalent to the cost of a cooked meal. And also, of course, don't require the same day distribution that a cooked meal does. And of course, comes with the added additional ed- educational benefits that um, that they come with. We've actually heard of one council, I think it was, uh, I, I won't risk saying the name, but um, they organized a cook-along on Zoom for, for the children because we supply, to, we supply, we deliver these boxes mostly to schools and community groups. And uh, it's also an element of learning together and creating this dialogue and forum to talk about food in groups that maybe wouldn't normally have talk, talked about food previously. So it's opening up, uh, it's planting a seed as well, which is what I find very valuable. And um, allowing allowing individuals to start thinking about how their food is made and you know alternatives instead of instead of ordering in or having frozen food you know which we're all we're all guilty of um it's 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 enacting it's it's so Jamie Oliver very much of it behind the scenes behind the school food system in the kitchens and you know the planning of it whereas this is more in the homes it's very much in their domain where they're comfortable and in a, in a space that they are willing to learn with people hopefully you know carers or parents that are able to to teach them and create a relationship with them as well so it's much more than just food it's um it's a, it's an experience well this is about family values isn't it and experience yeah. and again you know you're working in your family business and you have this sense of family that's one thing i got from you probably <laughs> because i'm irish and irish have a strong <laughs> sense of family um but you know what you're articulating there is actually incorporating a way of life rather than going out to mcdonald's rather than getting a pre-cooked school meal you are actually creating something and this is uh, art in itself you're creating fun food good food that this is art the art of healthy longevity in real life yeah, I think I think eating in itself is art and kind of knowing um, what to eat and when to eat. it. And also, I think we're going to move into an era of people thinking of food as a bit more of a medicine. I, I do genuinely believe that, um, especially as we come out of the pandemic and people are people are thinking of, of what, what they used to do. And they're kind of reflecting on themselves in a new light. And um, yeah, we're providing that platform, I hope. Yes, well, the lady I interviewed earlier on today, she is a, an art therapist, psychotherapist and a writer. 
And she has gone back to writing and she's envisioned a utopian world. It's a made up world where illness doesn't exist, but it's because people have their own personalised food choices. Now, this lady doesn't know about the microbiome, but I thought it was Mm. fascinating that she's going to this space. And now somebody like Tim and Waitley here, Professor Fergus Shanahan, who is also a really world expert on the microbiome I'm interviewing next week. This will bring the story together because I think this is the beginning of the revolution around food and the art of yeah. food. Yeah. Well, Siraj, we've touched on a very important point a few moments ago about change makers. And as you know, this podcast is in conjunction with Hamilton Changemakers, where they teach us to go out into the world and use our education, our skills to make the world a better place. But of course, change making doesn't just happen at Cambridge. It happens in front of us every day of the week. And we can only just look and um, we were talking about Jamie Oliver, but what about Martin Rashford and the incredible work that he did during lockdown delivering and ensuring the government did provide school food? I mean, what do you think of his contributions and how do you think if you entered politics, you could change the world? Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, what he what Marcus did was amazing, you know, shedding light on on what what was what, what was the reality. And actually, very luckily, um, a lot of councils after that happened saw a lot of value in what we were doing. And that's why so many of them came on during the Easter and a few more lined up in the summer. As you say, change making is all about encouraging others to change as well. And I, that's really what I hope to do with my work um, through making veganism and um, eating more sustainably more accessible. But on the change maker point, I also want to just say, I know that a lot of undergraduate students will be listening to this. I would say, don't feel the pressure to see results of of your change making immediately. Change takes a lot of time and it's not always visible. You know, the, um, what is it? The frog in the kettle never feels it boiling until, until they're boiled. So mm. you might also be seeing the change happen around you and not realize that it's happening and don't put too much pressure on yourself. It can so often feel like things are not changing quick enough, quickly enough. Um, I, I definitely feel like that sometimes with work. I'm like, no, I'm not progressing quickly enough. But then I think uh, I take a step back and I'm like, actually, I'm on my journey. I'm on, I'm on my path. I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And, um, and, you know, with the, with the intention that I have, I hope that, you know, I'll be able to make this change over time. Yes. And reflection is what you're bringing out there, isn't it? You know, you have the purpose, you have the start, you need to take a step back and look from the outside in working on the business instead of in the business all the time. And then also realise that, as you say, change is happening all around us. Look at the change the pandemic has brought. I mean, mm. for instance, in my industry, in the medical, we're, we're all 58% of our consultations are remote now. It, so change happens without you noticing it. And you've just got to be positioned to take advantage of it for the good of society. Mm. And that does also require, you know, offbeat thinking a lot of the time, something something like what you're doing with with Iona. It's it's a it's a new way of delivering care to to patients. And it's a it's a, it's a it's not the normal path. And I think, you know, that's why that's 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 been the result of the pandemic that, that so many of these uh, offbeat offbeat companies have come to the limelight like zoom <laughs> um, and peloton and and these these companies that allow people to carry out their daily activities from home and um they're really forward thinking and i think i think that's a great lesson that we can take away from the pandemic that don't always follow the crowd do you know <laughs> without wanting to sound cheesy be the change <laughs> yes indeed Yes, and I think combining that with the power of the network, as you said, I mean, we all know um, Uh. if you read Ferguson's books on network, network is really, really important. That's one thing that they do teach very well. But I, I just pick you up on a point there. I mean, in Cambridge, yes, 
you know, we're going to Cambridge, we're getting an education. Not everybody is, is fortunate like you and I to be able to go to Cambridge. Yeah. But we, we can help deliver the message. And that's one of the things that Homerton Changemaker Programme is trying to achieve. It's trying to train people to be change makers so that we can actually train other people who are in every walk of life and every discipline. And I think that's the power. The world will only change when everybody is behind it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I'm something that I've thought about, I'm reflecting a lot on food packaging at the moment because obviously we use a lot of packaging um, and it's something that is, it's an industry issue. How do you get your produce to the end consumer in a, in a good state with a good life without using an excessive amount of packaging. And I'm actually speaking later this week at a um, at Deloitte's grocery conference and talking about, you know, the unseen waste of the food industry, whether that be in the farm, whether that be during distribution or in the pack house or in the storehouse. And there is a lot of packaging that is kind of hidden away. And I'm kind of thinking, how can how can that how can that change? There's no pressure on these big companies, on the farms, on the on the airlines, the, the shipping companies. There's no pressure to change because nobody wants it. And and I thought the solution is bottom up activism. It's it's the same way that we're changing, you know, packaging of of beer cans from plastic to paper. It's through consumer demand, and there needs to be that that will from the people, of course, the consumers, and you know, they need to show that they. They don't want these unsustainable options that are provided to them at the moment, but they have to be aware of them first, which is obviously part of um, part of the educational piece. Well, I, I noticed it. I think you're dead right. Every time my shopping um, delivery comes, there's so much plastic, much more now than even a year ago. Yeah. And I think there is an opportunity there for innovation. So when there's regulation, you know, all companies have to comply. But actually, there is an opportunity for, say, your company to innovate around alternative packaging. And you already told me that you used cardboard boxes to deliver some of these um, boxes yeah. to the communities, which is a, is a great first start. And it's what you do at the end of that line. I think that will make the difference. Yeah. But one thing that you must remember, well, we all have to remember is that somewhere like the food industry is very, very cutthroat. Margins are very, very low. Um, it's, it's a really difficult industry. There's a lot of competitors. So enacting these changes has to be welcomed by increased demand, unfortunately. And if that's not seen, which often isn't because food is so commoditized and it's such a, you know, it's the same whether you buy it from here or there, pretty much. Consumers don't, especially, you know, for example, we supply to a lot of like restaurants. A consumer never knows where their aubergine came from and they have it in a restaurant. And to be honest, they don't really care. They didn't really think about it. Why should they? So creating that demand amongst restaurants is um, is very important for me. And it's it's something that I'm going to work towards in my career. Well, also, you have the skills, having done a marketing degree already as well. You'll know how to go about changing that perception, won't you? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so, Suraj, you know, you've told us a little bit about your purpose, your your sense of self-awareness, what you want to achieve with your life. You're living out the dream. You're early in your career. You've got big ambitions. And, and I just hope <laughs> I'm, you know, you'll probably be the next mayor someday. And you better invite me to the mayor's fun <laughs> curry lunch, which is a great lunch I've been before. <laughs> um, wow. But what do you do to, you know, and you've also working in a family business, that has to be quite stressful at times. It, it isn't as glamorous as one's. I mean, how do you deal with stress and your own wellness? Yeah, it's definitely not glamorous at all. <laughs> it's um, no no tight scheduling. It's very much you no know, weekends, and it it can be hard. You know, it's it's middle of the night phone calls. What do I pack here? You know, these instructions weren't clear enough. There's always there's always something going on, and because your family is, you know, those barriers are broken down of schedules. So it is important to take time to yourself and. Um, 
for me, I do it. I do it in a few different ways. I'll either just disconnect, and I'm very lucky to live in a very green area. So, I think I think as well as many other people, I've gone for a lot of walks during lockdown, and even when we're not in lockdown, <laughs> I even go out of choice now. Um, but yeah. um, I do that, and also I think reading is really really valuable. And um, I've also found a creative outlet in, as I think many others have in, in interior design at the moment, kind of reformulating a room. I've done a few rooms in the house so far where I've kind of rejigged things around thrown in a rug and then voila it's uh it's a new room but you haven't managed you haven't changed that much in it <laughs> lovely and a, an odd painting or two I mean you showed me we we're going to put up this picture of this stunning orange piece that you listened to Emma Rose's podcast and and I think you reached out to her didn't you I did yeah I had to hear about I had to see this Bridgerton painting <laughs> <laughs> um I was sold and then and then when I was perusing her website I, I came across um this beautiful really bright orange and gold and copper leaf painting called Versailles and it played on my mind for probably like four or five weeks and I was like should I buy it it might be a bit too small for that wall <laughs> the wall that I had in mind and because we have a bright orange kitchen my mum loves orange mm. um, <laughs> and uh, I just thought you know what I, I just need to do it because so it's so happened so many times in the past where I've wanted to buy a piece of art and then I haven't and then I you know I'm still I still remember those are the ones I remember the most the ones that got away yeah. so I'm really really glad that I just enacted and, and bought it. Well, it's really funny because Emma, I think, said to me that, you know, she might not sell a painting for months or even years, but it's always waiting for the one. And you were the one for that orange painting. And I think is it's really telling that you put it into the kitchen, the heart and soul mm. of the family, the heart <laughs> and soul of the food. And yeah. I think that's a nice tie up because for me, as well as the sense of purpose and the hard work, you embody the family values and you're bringing art, the art of food to younger people into their day to day lives. And also you have an interest in art and all of these things combined help us live longer, healthier. Yeah, I, I, I like to think that that's really that's a really nice summation of, of all the art going on in our kitchen and in our workplace as well, which is sometimes the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Well, it has to be. Well, look, Suraj, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really, really lovely talking to you and hearing about all of your plans. And I just can't wait to hear to see what the future plays out for you. Oh, thank you so much, Millie. It's been really wonderful to speak to you and I can't wait to hear the rest of the series. Good. Well, thank you also to all my listeners for joining me today um, with Suraj. And I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. And we look forward to hearing more from Suraj in the future about these wonderful food plans. And join us next week for another person who is an expert on the microbiome, Professor Fergus Shanahan, another friend and colleague and a mentor to me over many years in Ireland. And Fergus has published far and wide in the most prominent academic journals on the microbiome and on inflammatory bowel disease. And he really is disrupting how we see our gut health. So that will be a fascinating interview indeed. And if you do wish to leave feedback, please get in touch um, by emailing us at hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.